442 Insider, brought to you in association with Rebel Sport, your football destination. Hello and welcome to the 442 Insider podcast, where we take you behind the scenes at football's greatest magazine. Today I'm joined by publisher Andy Jackson. Hello. Back to top spot. And uh, deputy dog, Trevor Trahan. Hello. Uh, we're going to have a look at the English Premier League. Unbearable um, already. Before we, before we, well, I haven't said anything. How <laughs> the way I, you're saying how it. How can I be unbearable when it's I haven't said It's 10.45am, we've got four or five Spurs fans in the office who have just been unbearable already. I had to drive one of them in this morning. Oh, really? Oh, <laughs> God. To pick him up from his ass. Awful. So on the weekend, there are a few big games being played. Probably the biggest was uh, Liverpool-Chelsea. Chelsea going to Liverpool and uh, some interesting an interesting subplot there Andy with uh, what with Gerard gifting Chelsea the title nearly yeah I thought yeah but the um, reasons behind it with uh, Liverpool not wanting Manchester United to take their record of league titles and uh, all that going on yeah you, you'd like to think that's not the case uh, um, I think there's uh, there's probably a bit too much pride I mean any footballers that I've sort of come across you'd You'd see them cheating at Monopoly against their sort of younger, uh, you know, nephews and nieces to try and win. So I, I don't think that that's the case. I, I certainly would hope not that the league's got a bit more integrity than that. Um, it's probably a fair reflection on the two teams, really. Chelsea have probably been two goals better than Liverpool the whole season, and nothing really changed. So mm. yeah, so yeah. I mean, I think obviously Chelsea are now firm favourites to get the, the result they need at home. Manchester United won at Sunderland away one nil. Um... Workman-like performance. They had a few chances, but you, you would have thought they could have put a few more past Sunderland. Yeah, not that it mattered. Didn't really need to, did they? That's yeah. the thing. So yeah. it was one of those games where they sort of won at a canter. And again, you know, odds of Steve Bruce putting one over his old uh, his old boss Fergie. Um, yeah, absolutely. And Trevor Arsenal in third place. They came a cropper to Blackburn. Mm, in a bit of free fall, aren't they? Really, they've yeah. had a, a load of injuries. No one likes to use injuries as an excuse, but they have had a lot of injuries especially running into this last bit of the season so it's no surprise but Vinny Grilla played in that game I did yeah good good to see him back he needs to get some games under his belt before we go in but I, I didn't watch you know the uh, the Liverpool-Chelsea game at the weekend I opted to watch what I thought was going to be Nicky Cole's relegation playoff with uh, Sheffield Wednesday mm. but he didn't get in, on in the end but ended 2-0 when Palace stayed up and Nicky Cole stayed in the Championship if he chooses to stay on at Palace which seems unlikely with their money problems big if and then uh, in the battle for fourth, there were two games. Obviously, Manchester City and Tottenham battling it out. And at that point, Tottenham were one point ahead of Manchester City. And City won 3-1 against Aston Villa after Aston Villa won a goal ahead. Andy, great game, though, wasn't take it? On that? It was a good game. I mean, the, the, the whole game really hinged on a two-minute period just before half-time when um, you know, Stephen Warnock gave away... a needless penalty I mean Johnson was going nowhere right along the touchline and he dived in he sort of tried to dive in first and didn't quite do it and then made a really good fist of it the second time and, and when the guy, when the player's first reaction is to put his head in his hands and get on his knees you sort of make the referee's job a bit easier then I was thinking <laughs> that, he must be one of the first players to not appeal <laughs> so, oh, any no. decision he's like, yeah. like summing up what every Villa fan all over the world was thinking was, I can't believe you've just done that and then, of course, they score the penalty, but then we go down the other end, hit the bar, and then within 60 seconds, they go to the other end and score. You know, So that's, I guess that's the thing. At that level, the game swings on 
like you know really minor moments like that or well major moments but over a very short period of time so yeah you know I mean I've got to be honest as a Villa fan so right we would have been in the race for fourth until the 37th game of the season uh, got to a cup final and got to another cup semi-final I'll be happy with that I mean I think it's our biggest points haul sort of it, since it's gone to three points for a win uh, oh sorry since the Premier League has gone to 20 teams so we did get more points but that was back in 94 I think mm. um, so yeah I mean there's a lot to be positive about obviously the big thing now for a lot of teams is, is what they do close season um, and I think you know Villa's deficiencies are obvious I think they need a, a centre forward you know to really bridge that gap if, you, if you're looking at the difference between the sides Villa have got what Carew Agbon Lahore um, Heskey and a young lad coming through Delfonso you compare that with the four quality strikers that Man City and Tottenham have got and therein lies the difference you know Villa have struggled to put away sides that they probably should have put away they've drawn way too many games and that's always been the case over the last two or three seasons so we need a player that can potentially win us points when we probably don't deserve them I was, yeah. I was wondering if Stephen Island might be likely to go to Villa or someone like that yeah it's the sort of player, player we need I mean Petrov you know Petrov does a good job but he, he tires so badly and in the last 20 minutes he's so ineffectual but and Neil just seems to refuse to take him off. And we, we do have a player that can play that sort of dynamic role in Rio Coca, not at a top level, but very mobile. But he just he's obviously fallen out with O'Neill, so I think he'll leave. So I, th- I think we need a centre forward and I think we need a, a, a high quality sort of holding midfielder. Mm. Um, and that could be the difference between us challenging again next year. And the other game was uh, Tottenham winning one 0 at Bolton to uh, maintain that lead over Man City. It was a pretty tight game with a yep. wonder strike from Tom Huddleston to to win it. Bolton well, made a, a game strike. of it. Bolton did make a game of it, didn't they? And they were trying right up until the end, so I don't think uh, yeah. Man City could complain about Bolton's efforts. In it's already safe. Now we need your boys Trev, to do us a favour at the weekend. New West Ham to beat Man City, <sighs> and if we beat Blackburn at home, we finish fifth ahead of Man City. So. Really? Yeah. Wow. Well. I've got some bad news for you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. Will um, it be Gianfranco's last game? Maybe they'll rally just for one final send-off. I see he, he stuck on the West Ham shirt and played last night. I don't know if um, you've been reading about this in the UK papers. They had Tony Carr as the academy guy. They had uh, the match between like, John Terry was back, Frank Lampard, Joe Cole. They didn't play. But they were there in the West Ham kit. And then uh, Zola got on the pitch playing up front with Di Canio. Ah, there you go. If only. You can maybe get him out there on, uh, on Sunday. Do with him, yeah. Bit of a swan song. And so come on in. Talk about the game today. <laughs> I'll let you do it. As Trying to you, play it down. As soon as you devoted about five minutes to the no, team. Was, in, I thought it was a good spot. game. I, I got up about quarter past five, so I missed the first 13 minutes. Um, and I think I missed Man City's probably best part of the game. I heard that Man City started pretty strongly. But from what I saw, I, mean, I thought Spurs played really well. Um, again, Crouch should have buried the first header. I mean, mm. I know he got the second, but that to me is always the concern about Crouch is that often and, and as Spurs were fine in the Champions League you don't get two chances you get one chance and he should have buried that header yeah. um, it was the only place he could put it where the keeper would have had a chance of saving it and that was where he put it um, but yeah you know, I mean, it, the, the main thing for, I think for all neutrals or all supporters of other teams other than those involved was a desire not for Man City to get fourth because I think you know, and a lot has been talked about the fact that if Man City get fourth place and get into the Champions League, it has the potential to change English football forever. You know, because they have the ability. You know, they're they're in a completely different league. You know, they're they're in a league of trillionaires, not not billionaires. You know, and so so from that regard, um, it's certainly made it interesting. You know, Spurs are not short of funds, so it'll be interesting to see who they go and get. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, I'm sure Man City will spend again. Again, will Mancini be the guy? Do they now say, right, you've had your chance to bring someone in? I think it needs some stability. I don't think they can do well. Oh, yeah, as Real Madrid approved, changing your coach every season mm. and then throwing a load of money at bringing in players and hoping that a coach in one season will find a system that works, I think is a, is a big stretch. So if I was them, I'd go and get, whether it's Mourinho, whether it's Hiddink, and pay the, a huge amount of money to get the right coach and give him three or four years. Mm. And, and Trev... Back to Tottenham because they actually got fourth and uh, have qualified. Um, from an England point qualified of view, qualified for the qualifying phase. Yeah, let's get that yeah, right. Yeah. And also going out to Glen Torrance. No, no, no. <laughs> and also let's not forget that it coincides with the first season where it's not going to be seeded. Right. So yeah. This is part of Michelle Platini's plan to even it up. So it's an open draw. So they could end up getting the fourth place team from Spain or Italy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, it would be odds on, wouldn't it? Paul Valencia or something like exactly, that. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. Um, but from an England point of view, it's good to see that, that Tottenham have a lot of young players coming through, getting game time. You know, Michael Dawson, Tom Huddleston, uh, mm. Defoe and Crouch up front. Um, it, it, it's a good, good thing for English football to see a team with so many English players doing well rather yeah. than the kind of mercenary foreigners who come in. Yeah, man, I think what Man City need through the middle is that they don't really have... I was thinking when I was watching them is that with an Italian manager, they're playing two defensive midfielders and they've got really good wingers and they've got two good frontmen, but they've got nothing mm. going through the middle. And, you know, they've got making of a good team like Tevez and Adebayo is like an old-style front two, isn't it? The big guy and the little guy and Bellamy on the left and Johnson on the right. But these... You know, two guys in the middle just did nothing. Any substitutions, Johnson or straight swap for Wright Phillips? I don't think that was ever going to do anything. But no. yeah, I mean, Tot- Tottenham have got lots of good young English players. I mean, Paul, as a Spurs <laughs> fan, where would where would you see them needing to strengthen? I think they probably need to upgrade on someone like Palacios. Uh, he's he's. He's a good little terrier-like player, but he's probably physically he's quite small. And I think you know pairing here, if you're going to put, if you, if we keep Bale, because there's rumours that he might go, if we keep Bale and Lennon on the wings, then I think we definitely, if we're going to play Modric in the middle as well, then there needs to be someone of a bit more stature. I think um, maybe another centre half. Dawson's played well. Bassong's come in now and again. Ledley's um, in and out of the team, isn't he? Ledley's in and out, and maybe a right back. Chor Lucas never really impressed me. He's a bit well, solid. I've been impressed with Cabal since he came back. Yeah, I he's done yeah, well. He's, he's done very well. Um, and maybe a striker. I don't think Harry likes Pavlichenko, and I still think he misses too many for for my liking. As you said, that kind of the, the one chance you get in a lot of these bigger games, and he just misses too many for my liking. But also, you look at it, though, there were, there were key points in that season where Pavlichenko won them two Absolutely. or three games. Yeah. There. That's been the difference. January, you know? February time, but I still think Harry doesn't like him, had to play him, and he's in the best-case scenario because Pavlichenko sh- shows that he's still got something, and so his value goes up, and Harry's like, this is the best I could have, you know. I've got this guy who I spent loads of money on, probably wouldn't get that back before he started scoring, and now he'll probably get... Arsenal should sign him. It'd be a good buy for Arsenal, Pavlichenko. With Arshavin as well, I think they would link up quite well. Yeah, I I think it's quite important this happened, and it's really, you know, Tottenham making fourth, that is. It's really going to change what happens in the summer, because if City had got there with all their money, Mm. offering Champions League football, then almost the trap door closes for a little bit, doesn't it, in terms of other teams breaking in. But now... Tottenham can get a few of those players that insist on Champions League football and it might be a little bit closer next season so yeah. it is better for the league I am pleased it's happened the only all jokes aside the only frustrating thing of, the, of the, the finishing positions would have been that if Portsmouth had not been in administration 
Liverpool would not have qualified for Europe. I was hoping Everton were going to chase them at the end. That would have been, you know, again, better. And how did that happen? Because uh, Portsmouth would have qualified for the Europa League by, even if they'd have lost the FA Cup final to Chelsea, because Chelsea would have been in the Champions League, Mm -hmm. um, which would have meant that seventh place in the the Premier League would not have been good enough for Europe. Um, And that would have been a real challenge to see our club you know, with the cost structure that Liverpool have got not been in Europe for at least a season. Um, the other interesting thing is going to be that it looks like Burnley might qualify for the Europa League through the fair play. Every year there's <laughs> it, isn't there? it always seems to be a really rubbish team that wins the fair play. Like Fulham, yeah. who are in the final. <laughs> no, they finished seventh though, didn't no, they? No, but they've qualified previously, I think, oh, right. for the fair year, play. Yeah. I don't think it's this year. No, I think they finished no. seventh, didn't they? Well, that's great stuff. That's a, a, an EPL roundup, and we'll go back and have a look at the games on the weekend in our last segment. But join us uh, after the break. We'll be having a look at all the news from our website, au.442.com. The countdown to the 2010 World Cup has begun, so now's the time to start showing support for your team. Kit yourself out in all the latest Socceroos gear from Rebel Sport and get ready for the action to begin. We've got men's and kids' away jerseys, shorts, jackets, scarves, and wristbands. Socceroos aren't your team? Rebel Sport's got you covered. We've got gear from all your favourite international soccer teams including England, Italy, Brazil and a stack more. Get into Rebel Sport today or shop online at rebelsport.com.au and show your pride on the pitch this season. The 442 Insider, brought to you in association with Rebel Sport, your football destination. Hello and welcome back to the 442 Insider Podcast. And now we're going to have a look at some of the news from the week from our website, au.442.com. Before we go into that, we saw an interesting thing on the interpipes today, didn't we? Uh, The new Socceroos Unleash campaign and a a fantastic little 15-second video with Luke Wilkshire. Tell tell us about it, Andy, because it's got your goat. Yeah, it has. And obviously we're a football magazine and website, you know, and we're not... The other media in Australia and we don't have a vested interest in bringing the game down or taking pot shots at it but I was quite astonished to see an FFA campaign showing Luke Wilkshire hurling a chair onto a football pitch at an imaginary Italian fan and I just it just I was just incredulous at it in the competitive environment you know and in the context of the media that are more than happy to to you know Make two and two eight when it comes to any sort of football hooliganism. I mean, there's a there's a story on the Daily Telegraph today about on the site about um, some fans with a water cannon in in Argentina. You know, and again the link is you know are you know we all know that that soccer fans are world renowned for their antics. You know, and it's like, and I just think this is the governing body, and and who was in the meeting room when the agency? Propose that as a good idea. What you mean, using Luke Wilkshire? No, no, <laughs> Luke I'm joking. Hurling a chair onto the pitch. You know, yeah. I can only imagine what what the Daily Telegraph and those guys are going to make when they fly. And also, is that the sort of projection we want to give to FIFA for a World Cup bid? They're about to hand over the bid book, and there's a national team campaign of players hurling chairs onto pitches. Mm. I might be taking it too literally, and I'm sure that the argument would be it's symbolic, and you know. But it's literal. People are literal people, um, yeah. and I, you know, as I said, let's hope the fans don't um, 
follow Luke's lead at the World Cup. Exactly. It's part true. of a series, though, isn't it going to be, I assume? It's not just one Luke. No, there is. A, there's a David, David Carney acting, um, looking out of breath. That's, that's that sounds good. really good. You saw yeah. that David to me. Carney mugging an old lady and <laughs> Lucas Neal doing donuts in a car park. Like... <laughs> and then a li- and then a woman showing a little finger yeah. uh, doing that after the donuts. But yeah, we'll, we'll see how that one progresses. But it's uh, it's an it was an interesting turn up on YouTube. So uh, if you stick in Luke Wilkshire Unleash, uh, you'll be able to see that on on YouTube. So go and have a look. But on to uh, matters that we've covered on our website. Uh, there's a story that we we broke uh, this week about Mitch Langerak, Melbourne Victory goalkeeper, um, shattered after Melbourne Victory have apparently turned down a second, more substantial transfer offer from uh, Borussia Dortmund uh, that came in again and uh, the dream move has been denied. Where do we stand on that? There's, there's two sides to the coin, isn't there? So... Uh, um, you know about developing young players and and you know wanting to keep them and not bending over to these European teams. But yeah, know. there is. But I, I just think in any walk of life, there's little point in in having someone that disgruntled like on your employment. Mm. You know, it's and the the Melbourne Vich are quite within their rights as any team is to say no. But that should generally be to get the price that they want. That mm. could, should be to say. No, you're undervaluing him. And that was, as I understood it, what had happened a week ago or two weeks ago. Dortmund have now come back with a with a bigger, better offer that um, you assume there's been communication between the two parties to say what that offer needs to be in the, in the region of. Mm-hmm. And if they've done that, and apparently reading the story, Trevor, they're saying that Melbourne just didn't even respond to it. Is that right? No, as well. Just let the Me doing a bit go. of online journalism, yeah. dipping in. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's one of the things he's upset about. And as he mentions in the story, it's a little bit disrespectful because there's, you know, a bid and then there's a deadline to respond. And they didn't they even bother. So and this is no little, little club. Bit. Is it nearly as disrespectful as you drawing little sharp teeth on Mitch's face on your <laughs> nose? Well, it's and, the and little hasn't funny come out eyes. Properly, so yeah, so you've done that. Yeah. So talking about disrespectful, I don't know. <laughs> so, you know, it seems, it seems a bit of an odd. And particularly with a you know, position like goalkeeper that's so pivotal, you sort of want... Well. You want a motivated team of players, yeah, and, yeah. and quite clearly the fact that he's been more than happy to speak to us and go on the record in the way that he has suggests that he's pretty damn pissed off with them. Yeah. You know? And so I don't see the point of keeping people against their will. Um, well, Melbourne have had a history of this with Archie Thompson, yeah. Danny Allsop, and, and it doesn't seem like they're motivated in money. Is it, a, a, is it this thing, this kind of ego thing? We're not going to be bullied around. They think they're bigger than they are. I mean, we all know the, the status of Australian football in the sense that um, while we don't want to admit it, it, it's a kind of feeder league, you know, the, the way that people will come in and take, and take the, players the players. will always want to go to Europe, you mm. know, because, and that's never going to change. You know, I, I think that every player, it doesn't matter whether you're looking at the A-League or the Premier League, every player has their price. You know, Ronaldo had his price, Kaka had his price, you know, and it's quite within, a, it's the club's remit to set that price and then it's the, you know, the buying club's remit to then match it if they choose to. And So we don't know the full stories, we don't know the numbers involved, you know. That's important, knowing the numbers, but I think at least Melbourne, especially after the second bit, you go, look, no, this isn't enough either, but we want this amount. Not even bothering to reply and then just rejecting, it's not really good enough. Mm. If that's the case, we're still waiting to hear back from Melbourne. And in a related note, the the PFA have come out and announced that they want to oppose attempts to prohibit A-League clubs and players from including transfer buyouts yeah. in their clause. Well, this is exactly what we're talking about. There, there is a stated price that we, you know, that is set at the time of signing a contract. Um, that can be stupid money. Yeah, I think Messi's is £150 mm. million. 
you know, but it's a, it's a means to allow players to have confidence of signing long-term deals with clubs, but understand on the understanding that there is a market value at which the club is happy to release them should a bigger club come in. Why do the um, FFA want to stop this then? Do you know what? I'm not sure. I don't understand. I don't know whether they think that that price would be too low. Mm-hmm. You know, might set the you know a, might a wider sort of preconception of the league. Chain reaction of teams coming in trying to steal talent, or whether there's you know there's such a disparity between the, the quality. I.e., there'll be one or two players that that could have a buyout of you know a million plus, but the majority of them really aren't going to be in that league. So mm. is it you know do you? The more concerning thing on that PFA thing for me, I mean, a couple of notes here, was the fact that, and this would be a more concerning thing, is that 80% of Australian players, the, their first move is to the best club of their career. Yeah, yeah. You know, so that, that would be a concern to me. Um, and the other one is that only one in 12 players last more than one year at a top-ranked club. You know, which suggests that quite a lot of players go overseas but then don't really cut it or sort of go over with a big billing and then quickly sort of drop down and yeah. you know find the level lower than was immediately anticipated well like Theoklitos is a really good example yeah. great goalkeeper over here at this level and then, debut. and then has a bad <laughs> debut manager gets sacked and uh, new new boss doesn't like him for whatever reason <laughs> and the new boss was the coach that stuck all the goals past him yeah. in the first so place he's not going to be that impressed is he no um, and you know like um, as our source um, from the Mitch story um, said you know some Everyone talks in terms of, oh, you know, he'll get more offers and, and everything like that. You know, these offers don't come around that often. When do we ever hear of a team of that nature looking for a player that's cur- yeah. a young player currently playing in the A-League? But so. I, think, I think the important thing about this, and this is, this is especially relevant to the Mitch Langerak case, is that no one knows what Melbourne's victory's valuation of that player is. You know, and so that's the important thing, is that that valuation becomes public knowledge. The player knows where they stand. The club knows where they stand. And other clubs looking to sign him know where they stand. They know mm. what money they've got to find up, you know, got to pony up to get him. So that's that's the big question here is that no one knows what the offer is and no one knows what Melbourne Victory's valuation is and how far apart the two are. Well, Melbourne Victory haven't commented to anyone about it. So still until, waiting on it. Until we know. A few people trying to track them down. We know. Um, on to other news. Everton have confirmed that they will be uh, taking part in a three-game tour of Australia in July uh, with games about against Brisbane Raw, Melbourne Heart and Sydney FC. Following on from uh, a couple of tours over the last couple of years of uh, teams, it seems like a good place to come. And obviously the the Tim Cahill connection as well, uh, which will be good. Seems yeah, I mean, the games seem a bit early to me though. Well, they're saying the world like, ev- July, you know. So I mean, who's? I mean, if, given that the World Cup finals July the twelfth, I guess they're banking on any Everton players being out the World Cup by then, and. Because you would have thought that the players competing in the World Cup would be given a couple of weeks off at least. Well, that's what it says, that the World Cup players will not make the trip. So that's the official line. But I think they're saying that and, and they probably might expect that the Socceroos will be home by then. And Tim would probably be in the country yeah. anyway. So I, I still think there's a good chance that, that Tim will be playing at those games. Yeah, yeah. And um, in other news, Perth Glory have confirmed some interest in Nicky Carl. You mentioned him not being able to... Get onto the um, onto the pitch in well, their their relegation battle. I thought it was going to start because they had a, a midfielder out, so it looked likely that that Cole's going to get a go. So he'd probably be quite disappointed that he didn't. But I'd imagine he'd be one of the players that they're going to need to ship out of Palace. I mean, there was talk that they went down that could have been the end of Palace completely. They've already gone into administration and been docked points. Yeah. So I, I think that you know Cole will move on because it's going to be a difficult time for them. They've got a really good youth academy, Palace as well, so they'll probably lean on that next year. 
And yeah, most people were thinking Sydney, and it'd be quite funny if, if Perth managed to snatch both Fowler and Carl from Sydney's clasps and end up with both of them there. But it mm. sounds like they're going to have to do a little bit of reshuffling with a, a few players on the way out as well. Well, they yeah. have to, aren't they? Because they've filled their spots, I think. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So who do you, who do you, Andy? Two two questions. Who who would you see making way for Nicky Carl coming back? And he would be a fantastic addition to the already kind of stacked front line and attacking players that Perth have, have accumulated. Yeah, I, I think they were talking about potentially Chris Coyne not coming back right. um, and that would free up a spot plus also some room in the salary cap. Um, there was Sekolovsky, I think they were talking, was going over trying his luck overseas. There was one more. Uh, Pellegrino. Pellegrino, yeah, yeah, who's been rumoured to be trialling. Was it Celtic last season? Right, yeah. Supposed to be interesting. Um, I mean, on the Palace thing, though, and on the Nicky Cole situation, you would think with administrators running it, though, that they would be looking, given that Palace paid, what, a million pounds for him, Mm. that he certainly wouldn't be allowed to leave on a free. So you'd imagine that any sort of transfer fee, meaningful transfer fee, would put him out of the reach of most A-League teams, you would have thought. Mm. Even if they say, right, okay, we need to get half our money back. That's half a million pounds. That's nearly a million dollars. Yeah. I'm not convinced there's an A-League team around that's got that I'd be sort really, of spare cash. really disappointed to see him come back, to be honest. You'd be disappointed? Yeah, because I just thought he's one player that might be able to do okay overseas and might be able to, you know, even if it was just at championship level, he might be able to get a regular spot over there. So to see him come back, I think, would, would not be a good thing. Yeah. Well, you know, good for the league. Good but for I'm, us, I'm talking but about from a Socceroos point of view. I think it's it'd be a negative thing. And talking about Socceroos, uh, we are well under a week uh, before Pim Verbeek announces his provisional squad for so the that, World Cup. That's thirty, is it? Thirty players oh. uh, next Tuesday. A big airplane hangar uh, to do with the sponsors of the Socceroos. Um, what do we What do we think about that, guys? Uh, thirty. You don't want to be the seven who don't make it, do you, out of the 30? But um, it, it, well, The worst spot's going to be one of the two that go to South Africa and don't end up making the final 23. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be worse, I reckon. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, but then again, you'd rather be in the 30 than not. So hmm. I guess it's a case That's of a lot can happen, you know, between that 30. You know, people can get injured, people can break down in training. I'm sure that in that 30... There will be some people with injury clouds hanging over them, and that period is for them to prove whether they're fit enough or not. So, does anyone know this? This I know that up up until the day of the first game, you can bring in an injury replacement for someone who gets injured. Can that be from outside of the thirty, or, can, or does oh, yeah, it have yeah, to be yeah, from yeah, the thirty? No, no, I don't think the thirty is anything to do with FIFA. Yeah, I always thought that you had to name your your twenty three man squad a month before. Well, that seems to have changed mm. now. Because when we were at that FFA media briefing, they were talking about taking 24 or 25 to South Africa and then only having to confirm the 23, was it like 48 hours before the first yeah, game? Yeah, yeah, so? or even the day before yeah. the last game. So that, that game. seems a bit odd. But yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a, it's a chance for a few people to state their claim. Um, and the question's going to be with Pim is that, like, he seems very sort of start, you know, rigidly with his, with his formation and his personnel. And the question is, how experimental a lineup is he going to play against New Zealand? Because first and foremost, they'll need to go and win that game. If they lose that game, that's going to be you know pretty sour note to to leave on. Yeah. You know, so I'd say that they they need to win that game. But then and then from that, so how many people is he going to experiment with? You know, and we know what the question marks are. Big question marks are, you know, who partners Lucas Neal in centre back? You know, um, who's going to play up front? So does he play Josh Kennedy? Or does he 
put Harry Kuehl up there, which seems to be the, the the sort of popular belief as to what he will start in the in Europe. Well, Trev, that 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 New Zealand game could be the last chance for some of those players because you'd think if Kennedy, if the Kennedy experiment, so to speak, fails, or uh, you know a partner with Lucas doesn't play very well. And that's going to be their last chance because he's going to put someone else in for USA and Denmark, and if and if they do well, then that's that's going to be it. So it could be a lot of people on a, in in the last chance saloon. Mm, I, th- I think we know enough about Kennedy to be honest and, and what he can do. I'd, I'd like to see Kuehl up there and, and perhaps someone else in the midfield or someone else up front. But I do think it's a big chance for the the thirty that go in that Pim could change his mind and you could make the 23 and one of the reasons I think we interviewed Richard Garcia recently and he was saying about when he started for the Uzbekistan game he also got called into the squad didn't think he was going to be playing Pim pulled him aside in training and said I think you've been brilliant in training you're going to start so I get the impression that you know that does make a big difference to him if you're training well in the lead up to a game he'll Mm. pick the players he deems to be fit and on form so you know if you make that 30 then you've got a real good chance of making the 23 providing you know you put put the yards in and train him Great stuff. Well, that's all the time we've got for in this segment. Thanks to Simon for not kicking the plugs out in this uh, section. And um, hopefully, if they're still in, we'll be having a look at Group C from the World Cup, England's group. Uh, a lot to talk about, so join us then. 442's Ultimate World Cup Pack is on sale now. Added to our biggest and best value pack yet, with two magazines including a complete guide to the World Cup, giant wall chart, Socceroos DVD, official World Cup Panini sticker book, plus a pack of stickers to start your collection. It's all you need to warm up for the World Cup. If it's in the game, it's in 442. On sale now. The 442 Insider, brought to you in association with Rebel Sport, your football destination. Welcome back to the 442 Insider podcast, and now we go into our World Cup section. And we're up at Group C now, which features England, USA, Algeria and Slovenia. A pretty interesting group for... Several, well, the, several reasons. As the sun christened it after the draw, the best group since the Beatles. <laughs> but I, I don't. Well, certainly I'm making hard work of it in the in FIFA. Yeah, so <laughs> on am the I. Xbox. So am I. USA seems to be a little bit better than you think they were. And Algeria, I'm struggling with. Um, I haven't won a game. I've got them knocked out twice. England, England being England, I think they'll end up making hard work of it. They mm. always do. Um, you know, the USA game, opening game, I think it's going to be a tough game. Tougher than they think. Um, certainly tougher than the English. I mean, the English media machine's about to get cranking up again. They'll sell two million St George's flags. There'll be eight per car. You know, and it, the expectation is just going to rise and rise and rise from here. Yeah. Um, and that that invariably passes down to the players. And they, they go out and play with you know, a level of fear that they don't play with at club. At club level, but has so. that gone? Has that gone with Capello? I mean, like I, I just felt really cheated um, in two thousand and six that the players were really selling the team. Yeah, we know we're not playing well, but we'll come good. No teams play well. Germany don't play well. Italy don't play well. And then it just turned out that they didn't play well. They weren't very good. But I think I will think it change under Capello? I think it's more the media pool. I don't. I don't necessarily think that the players will say anything different. If you, if you're if you're John Terry or Frank Lampard and a journalist asks you the question do you think you will do well at the World Cup what are you going to say mm, 
You know, you're not going to say, no, we, it, we yeah. go in there to lose. You're not going to say, no, we're not one of the better teams. You know, you're not going to say, we go, you know, so, but then that gets spun as we're going to win the World Cup and everyone believes that. And then, you know, and I just think, um, I think the English media have got their own role to play in it, you know. Um, I think I've seen the Sun ad on YouTube with brilliant. Terry Venables. Absolutely brilliant. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen it. Have yet. you not seen it? Uh, Terry Venables singing with Harry Redknapp and Ian Wright in the choir with the second star going above the the England badge saying, we believe. Oh, it's just cringeworthy. <laughs> but know. Trev, if you, if, we, if, we, if you can take a step back as, a, as an Englishman talking about England, in Wayne Rooney and Fabio Capello, we probably have the two best people in their professions in the world, haven't we? Mm, yeah, it's, unfortunately, probably need more than that. Yeah. Um, it's, it's the rest of the team that, that, that looks slightly shaky. I mean... They don't have a standout keeper. I mean, all, all the way across the defence, there's injury and form concerns. Um, if Rooney goes out, where are the goals going to come from? You know, it is a good England side, but, you know, it's it's not necessarily a great one. And, and I think they're going to need a, a very large slice of luck if they're going to make the, the, the final or, or win it. And I think the semis would be a very good tournament for England. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the, the keeper is a massive concern to me, the fact that... Two, you know, first choice keepers are both playing in teams that have finished in the bottom four or five teams in the Premier League. Is I a mean, concern. Green Green is a good keeper, but you know, I don't think he's a world class, World Cup winning goalkeeper. He's not. You know, I'd be happy to have Green as second or third choice, and I'm definitely happy to have him at West Ham. But first choice going into World Cup does make me a, a little bit nervous. I think, I think the I think the difference with Capello from from Ericsson in 2006, which is where I think will give England the best possible chances. I think once he gets them together and gets them into camp, I think it will be a much different camp than it was in 2006. And so. The media can hype it up all they like, but I think Capello will be keeping things very low-key, very focused. Um, and I think you know, he'll be very focused on, on what each player needs to do, you know, and, and that's going to be the key. I also think he might spring a few surprises. You know, I, think he, you know, I think we might see we might see a surprise at goalkeeper. You know, we might see someone like Joe Hart. I think he likes um, Johnson as well. I think he likes Johnson. He, he definitely likes Milner. You know, mm-hmm. he's come out and said that you know Milner is the most improved player um, since he's taken over England. You know, and I think Milner will have a key role to play either off the bench. And even talk of Sol Campbell pushing into the to the thirty. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I've talked about Upson before, and I don't rate him at all. And he's supposed to be the pretty much third choice centre back behind Michael Ferdinand. Dawson. I think should get serious consideration. He's I been enjoy, playing, yeah, playing again, very well that, this season. The centre backs, you know neither Terry or Ferdinand Ferdinand's missed big chunks with injury he's got one of those sort of chronic back injuries that can flare up at any point and the question is if he if that flares up after the first game he could be out of contention for the rest of the World Cup yeah. um, John Terry you know has had his issues this season and, and his form has definitely suffered um, but again you know would how would you feel going into an opening game in a World Cup with Sol Campbell and Michael Dawson <laughs> absolutely you know, so that, yeah. that's England's problem is that they don't really have that, that strength in depth they have, they have a good team they've always had a good good team um, I think they've now got a coach that can get them playing to a system but it's whether, it's whether they can cope with a, a few players missing from injury or suspension during the tournament hmm. um, and I, I agree with Trevor I think semi-finals would, would, would be a, a major result for England Looking at the USA, they had a great Confederations Cup in South Africa um, just last year. And Trev, you were talking to me about Clint Dempsey and Landon Donovan, two, as you said about Rob Green, two very good players, maybe not world class, but two players that 
all the teams in the group have got to be careful of. Yeah, they? we've had a look at a, a few USA players who are regular watchers of the, the Premiership. We know Howard's a good goalkeeper. I think Dempsey's a brilliant player. You he know, gets he, a lot of soccer ball assists. He does, he? yeah, he does. And uh, Donovan was excellent at Evan as well, so they're a good player. Well, yeah, I'm I was th- surprised by that, actually. I must admit, I, I, was, I didn't rate him. I always thought mm. he was a, you know, a bit overrated, a bit of a big ticket, but... I was really impressed with what he did at Everton. I thought he fitted in really well. So, so about USA's right back who plays for West Ham. Now I'm not being over dramatic here, and considering the competition that Spectre's had down the years, he's the worst player I've seen at West Ham. He's absolutely <laughs> that can't be right. Is he worse terrible. than Marco Bugas? Yeah, well, didn't Luis really get to see him play, but, <laughs> but Spectre is. Awful. He looks so uncomfortable. He makes it's so many mistakes. Going to spreadsheets, knocking around going the internet. Trevor's spreadsheet. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, th- I think he's a real, real weak point if he's going to start. So you know, any sides with decent, decent left wing. Well, I think. Well, I think one of England's biggest issues, and this will raise its head with the USA, is traditionally in the, these sort of games, like the Australia game at Upton Park, England don't perform well. When there's another, when there's a, a different type of pressure, a subplot, you know, they tend, you know, they tend to sort of creak a little bit mm. and, and are very sort of nervy. And with it being the opening game, they're not going to want to get off to a bad start. I think this could be a really, really tense opening game. USA or a draw might be a good bet for the. Uh... I, I think it's, I, I've got a feeling that it'd be one goal, and it'd be one of those games where it's a mistake that leads to a goal, and that's it. Yeah, um, Steven Gerrard back pass. Yeah, probably mm. something like to that. Land but the other two teams, Algeria and Slovenia. Obviously, Algeria have got a bit of a pedigree in Africa. They knocked out uh, Egypt in a playoff to make it, and Egypt are uh, like consecutive African Nations Cup champions. Slovenia obviously uh, qualified in a playoff as well, didn't they? Yeah, beat um, Russia. Beat Russia. So you know the 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 teams not to be sniffed at, but probably just don't have the quality to. Uh, get into that second spot above England or USA, do we think? Yeah, you know, but again, you know, if England go into that last game against Slovenia needing a result, you know, I just I've just got memories of the uh was it Euro two thousand, Romania mm-hmm. last game. Yep. England needed a win. Phil Neville. Phil Neville and one of the you know, Nigel Martin flapping the whole ninety minutes in yep. goal. Yep. And it's got uh, that has got another nightmare nightmare written all over it. If England don't get anything out of the opening game and need a win in that last game, then again that is going to be a nervy game. And the Slovenia show against Russia, you know, no slouches. You know, not, very few people expected them to win that over two legs. So I, I think um, I don't certainly don't think it's the best group since the Beatles. <laughs> and maybe for the final question, maybe we'll get into it a little bit next week when we look at Group D. But obviously C and D are linked in together with um, the the two teams the teams that qualify playing against each other. A potential for a, a, an England Australia game if all results go right. That would just be a, a pretty crazy game. Uh, it would be ridiculous. Yeah. Part, you know, it's the game that all Aussies hopes, want, yeah. and then the game that all English people don't want. Isn't yeah, it? I, you know, for the for the for the game in Australia, it would probably be the best thing that could happen. You know, because it, the whole the whole country would go bananas. Yeah. You know, and it would be the FFA marketing team's dream that game because they could hang so much off that. Well, they, get, the so they, they might not just throw chairs. It might yeah. be like <laughs> sofas or something like that. Yeah. Maybe. 
Uh, I mean, obviously, we're going to talk about Group D next week. I think it, there's a lot of work for Australia to do before that's even a, a possibility. So I think the main thing for Australia would be just not to even think about the round of 16 and just think about getting out of the group first. One you'd be nervous about, Trev? I think so. With yeah. either hat on, your Aussie or your uh, English yeah. hat. Yeah, I, th- I think there's there's more for England to lose, isn't there? Because for Australia, I think to to get knocked out against you know probably the third tournament favourites in in a lot of people's eyes in the knockout stages would would be deemed a, a fair fair result. But I mean they've only met once before, and we know the Aussies won, and we know um, Australian fans like to go on about that. So I think a meeting in a competitive game would be interesting. Yeah, definitely. That's all we've got time for in uh, Group C's rundown from the World Cup. But join us after the break to be looking forward to all the games this weekend. The countdown to the 2010 World Cup has begun. So now's the time to start showing support for your team. Kit yourself out in all the latest Socceroos gear from Rebel Sport and get ready for the action to begin. We've got men's and kids away jerseys, shorts, jackets, scarves and wristbands. Socceroos aren't your team? Rebel Sport's got you covered. We've got gear from all your favourite international soccer teams including England, Italy, Brazil and a stack more. Get into Rebel Sport today or shop online at rebelsport.com.au and show your pride on the pitch this season. The 442 Insider, brought to you in association with Rebel Sport, your football destination. Welcome back to the 442 Insider podcast and we're in the final section now. We're going to have a look ahead at the uh, last round of fixtures in the English Premier League and then possibly look at uh, the performances of some of the Aussies around Europe and the rest of the world. But on to the EPL, Sunday or the early hours of Monday. All games at four o'clock local time, which makes it 1am and uh, there's still a lot to play for. Chelsea and Man United, both within uh, a point of each other and a chance of winning. Is there any chance of Chelsea slipping up, Trev? Uh, no. I mean, obviously, there is a chance. I mean, we can the team that have um, turned over some surprise results this season. I mean, they beat Chelsea 3-1 earlier in the season. They've beaten Arsenal. Um, so, yeah, they've not had a bad run against the big teams. But They've all been at home, though, haven't they? They have, yeah. Up. Yeah, I'm, I'm clutching at straws here. But you, <laughs> you would imagine Chelsea at home with, you know, not many injury concerns. So we're here against a Wigan team who are safe. And, you know, Chelsea have really smashed some teams at home this season. Yeah. They? They've got a few seven-goal yeah. goal hauls, so it's incredibly unlikely. I think they're 12-1 to 1 on to win Chelsea, and it will be a surprise to see any other result. But, I mean, you probably go back to when Man U lost the title at West Ham, and, again, it was away rather than being home. You know, West Ham were normal West Ham standard, just stayed up, and then Ludwig McCloskey saved about a 1,000 shots and uh, you know, gave the title to, to Blackburn, who... Mm. That's why um, they play lost, the games, isn't it? Who lost at, um, at Liverpool? At Liverpool as well. Yeah. Gave Robbie Slater his title. Kenny Dalglish as manager. Mm. What do you think about? I mean, Man United have got Stoke. Yeah, That's I a think, tough one as well. I but think it, both of them will win, and I think Chelsea will take the title. Yeah, very, very difficult to yeah. see anything else. So if, if it was a you know a trickier game, if they were going you know away somewhere that you wouldn't want to go, even like a away to Blackburn or something. Well, like even that. if both of those games were reversed. And Man U having to go to Stoke and Chelsea to Wigan, you might think, well, you know, it's like it could be a, it could be an upset here, but yeah. I can't see it, so I think it will stay as it is. And incredibly, uh, the race for third is still on Arsenal's implosion, somewhat <laughs> over the last couple of weeks. Uh, all the all my Arsenal loving friends on Facebook have all shut up, and you know who you are because you listen. <laughs> uh, there's a little shout out to you, um, but yes. 
Tottenham could actually take over Arsenal if they win and Arsenal lose, which is very unlikely because Trevor's going to tell us why. But um, third place up for grabs, which which we didn't think was ever going to be possible, really. We thought what? the top three had broken away. I think most people have stopped looking, haven't they? Yeah. It's only really in the last you know week or so, oh, hang on, they can actually still get third here. Um, Arsenal, with knowing what's on the line, automatic qualification, rival taking the space. Home against Fulham, who are terrible on the road, going to play a reserve team because of the Europa League. It's very unlikely that um, it's going to be any other score there. But again, you don't know. I mean, Fulham reserves played against West Ham the other week and, and won. Not that that's much of an effort. But, but they... <laughs> Maybe Spurs could recommend that pre-match restaurant that uh, they went to yeah. the other season. Yeah. Yeah. We could do ne- that, never yeah. proven that though, was it? No. <laughs> In fact, never. anything it was dispelled. <laughs> West Ham. Yeah, got you a lot to a lot to answer for. And, and obviously, Andy, you, you mentioned it before. If City lose, yeah, and Villa yeah. wins. There's an outside chance that Villa could leap from Man City if. West Ham do us a favour and Villa win at home to Blackburn. Uh, yeah, it, there's no real difference. There's a half a million prize money difference, and the, it's more. I think it would be more sort of uh, psychological finishing above Man City with all the money that they've spent. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah, and obviously at the bottom it's all sorted. So. Well, West Ham can finish 14th. If we they can, like you say about the money, when it gets to this point in the season, you, you're trying to stay interested. Yeah, we, we can if if we can somehow manage to beat. Man City, which seems extremely likely. I mean, we've got draws against Chelsea and Arsenal at home this season, but all season, you know, the points that we've got are in games that we had to win. We haven't really shocked anyone. We've not picked picked up any big results. So for us to get our first shock, if you like, against City seems quite a remote chance. So I mm. think we'll, we'll probably stay marooned where we are for another oh, year. Right. I was pretty shocked by that spreadsheet, but... Yeah, the, well, the spreadsheet doing the rounds. I think it's the Daily Star that have uncovered it and West Ham have come out and denied it. But for people who haven't had it forwarded onto it, it's West Ham's wages and the amount they get. And the amount of players have been out, you know, people like Burmoy and Dyer have played a handful of games in the last few years. And 70 grand, what, 140,000 Aussie. A week. A week. And the guy who scored the goal against you. Oh, yeah, the fellow that scored the winner against Filler is on 400 pounds a week. (laughs) (laughs) Sort of sums it up, really. Sack your agent. Now, we all know that Portsmouth, Burnley and Hull are already down. Who's uh, looking odds on favourite from the championship to come up? We've got two already confirmed and then the playoffs. Blank looks from everyone. No, Trevor no, looks at no, his no, feet no, as he expects a, Andy to answer. There's a good answer. story in the, in the championship. So what, West more Brom are from, up? More from, yeah, West Brom and obviously Newcastle, Newcastle are back Newcastle, up. Newcastle, yeah. Um, the big story is Blackpool and mm-hmm. Ian Holloway. What I would give for Ian Holloway to win the playoff and come up to the Premier League, just because it would make every media conference he did. Yeah. That they so said what in the magazine? That's yeah. done. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also, he's done a great job there. You know, they were favourites to, uh, I think, favourites to, to be relegated. Just got happen, yeah. He's got them into the playoffs, um, and then, you know, anything can happen. Um, but yeah, he'd be a great addition just for the just for the quote value alone. Definitely. In terms of that first playoff game, um, it, you know, Blackpool are going to be home to Notts Forest. Blackpool have been good at home all season, particularly in recent weeks. I think. Uh, they've won something in the region of 10 of their last 13 at home. I think Forest have lost something like eight of their last 10 on the road. Mm-hmm. Forest have been absolutely dreadful on the road, particularly in the last three or four months, and Blackpool have been particularly good. So there's a very good chance that Blackpool could get off to a, to a good start there. And I just get the feeling that Forest, as often happens, a team that finishes third in, in the championship and in, you know, while it's his favourite to go up, rarely comes up for the playoff. And I think the one that sneaks in at the bottom, like Blackpool have, have got the momentum and I think they'll, they'll do Forest, and I think they'll at least make it to the final do we know the other two teams off the top of our heads it's Cardiff Cardiff and 
another Ooh, team Cardiff in the playoff spots. So Cardiff have got another oh, game. You've yeah. got, you got the internet, you can look it up. Yeah. But yeah. Do we see any of those teams possibly being able to stay up? I mean, Newcastle probably got the best chance of coming into the Premier League and, and staying up, haven't they? Yeah, I also think that, that you know we we talked at the start of this season that there's a lot of average teams in the Premier League, and I think that's you know that will still be the case. You know, Leicester. Yeah, Leicester. We've had you know we, we've we've lost three teams, but you look at that you know from bottom half of the Premier League: Stoke, Blackburn, Fulham, Sunderland, Bolton, Wigan, Wolves, West Ham. You know, any team coming up at the moment would think we've got a chance of staying up. You know, yeah. you could look at Wolves. Bolton, Stoke, you know, all teams that, as we saw with Hull, you know, Hull had one season, everyone thought, okay, well, they, they might have a chance and then back down now. You know, Stoke again have come up, done well. Can they sustain that? Um, West Brom, you know, are, are doing that yo-yo and I think we talked about it when, when you, you were off about, you know, how do you feel as a West Brom fan when you you keep coming up and then you go down you keep coming, and the club's on a really firm financial footing because they don't gamble when they do get promoted they don't go and spend ridiculous money on wages and invariably that means that they only stay up for a season mm. um, but long term future they're not going to do a Portsmouth so so I think it'd be interesting to see the, 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 the third club that comes up I mean I'd I love to see it, someone like Blackpool you know who just so unfashionable great away day for, oh, yeah, uh, exactly. for Premier League fans going uh Going up there and having a few bevies before, and I watched the build-up to their their game at the weekend against Bristol City, yeah. wasn't it? Um, and you know the the people of Blackpool are really getting behind it, and to have them in the Premiership, I think will, will be great. But your your thought, tangerine dream, exactly. Yeah, and the point you're making about good teams coming up and it being a poor Premiership. As a West Ham fan, I've gone through that exact thought process and thought, you know, we should have got relegated this season. I mean, they say 40 points is enough to keep you up. And sometimes you can be a little bit polite, but we've been way below that. Well, look at that. There, there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven teams with less than 40 points. Yeah. Seven teams with 36 points or less, and that's been enough to go down before. Definitely. So Definitely. a lot, you know, when West Ham got relegated a few years back, we had 40, 41 points. So, you know, we're going to have to, and a lot of those teams down there are going to have to improve dramatically to have any chance next year. Well, one disappointing aspect of the Premier League uh, this year, especially, is, has been the lack of Australian players playing on a consistent basis. We've got uh, Garcia at Hull, Schwarzer at Fulham, and Cahill um, at Everton. Not really anyone else playing on a consistent basis. Garcia's been injured He's even, be even at Hull. But, um, you know, d- does that mean that the interest in the Premier League has waned from an Australian point of view, or you know, does that, uh, you know, it, it, it's not really? I don't think Australian fans are really that worried about that kind of stuff. They look look for those results, but I think the, the, the league's strong enough to still. Yeah, keep I, its I don't interest, think, I don't think it? It, it makes much of a difference from a fan's perspective, but certainly it's making a difference from the national team perspective because there's a lot of players that are with good clubs but haven't been playing a lot you know we've seen Emerton and Grella both struggling with with niggling injuries that don't seem to be able to shake off Garcia you know so those guys are all at good clubs but have aren't going into the World Cup in in the best form or arguably in the best nick which is which is a major concern mm. a little nod to Chipperfield though he's come back from injury mid-season and he, he's been in incredible form over uh, Basil uh, Basil, yeah. yeah, Basil, and uh, had a brush with injury. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Well, I think the other day they won four 0 He got two of the goals and set up the other two. An so. amazing goal scoring record, isn't he? Benjamin just, Button. Uh, 
<laughs> yeah, Benjamin Button, as we call Benjamin him. Benjamin Button, as he gets older, just better and better. <laughs> yeah. and, and still looks as old as Benjamin Button when yeah, he's born. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's, he's a revelation for his club, isn't he? They, he just can't stop scoring. They play him in a more advanced role. But, I get um, the impression he loves it out there as well. Yeah. You know, he's got another year there, isn't he? So uh, Cheese, chocolate, mountains. He's, he's married to a Swiss, Swiss wife. Swiss yep. wife yeah. 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 I was Facebooked her once. Did you? Yeah, well, I was trying to get hold of Chipperfield. Is that code? And, and I, I, couldn't, I couldn't find out how to do it, so I found out that his wife was on Facebook. And Good did move. no hear back. <laughs> <laughs> Funny that. Yeah, somewhere. Anyone else caught your eye? Um, I mean, obviously, there's players all around the world, in, in, a lot in Asia and, and across Europe, in the, in the lower leagues of England and Scotland especially. But anyone else really uh, jumped out at you? Uh, I mean, we're talking about Pim's squad Not really. Selection. I mean, I, you know, I just think that... I think we all know that, that the Australian squad is built around a nucleus of sort of 14 or 15 good quality players and we can argue about is someone more deserving of the 22nd spot you know but I don't think I don't think that there's anyone out there that we don't know about that is going to suddenly leapfrog and become an automatic starter I mm. think we're you know the challenge is going to be who are the reserves if Emerton breaks down or Grella breaks down or you know Craig Moore breaks down and so you know we can talk about I know on the feature we're talking about people like Eddie Bosnar and that who's playing in Japan and, and having a good season but would you pick him ahead of Craig Moore or, or Lucas Neal probably not you know so again we're talking about him being a replacement so I, I think the key is for me would be the the medical staff <laughs> earning their coin over the next sort of two or three weeks mm. to ensure that these guys that, that are coming back from injury or carrying niggling injuries, you know, Reese Williams is another one that, that's carrying this injury and getting through the season, you know, when the season's over, the medical teams need to step up and get these guys ready as quickly as possible. Yeah. Because the other thing is they need, they need that sort of, you know, that acclimatisation period and that, that session that that Hiddink put them through last time, which which came into its own during the tournament. Yeah, I mean Adam Frederich, he's having a great season at um, Reading, and uh, Carl Valeri at um, Phil Collins, who owns the team Susudio in Italy. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's playing quite well, so um, they're, they're two names that immediately jump out who who should be on the plane. Yeah, a lot of people um, talk about. We need Schwartz for this tournament. I'm not saying that, but post Schwartz are about is there going to be a suitable replacement? I think there's a good raft of young Aussie keepers coming through. I'm not actually worried if we're looking that far ahead of who's going to replace him. I think someone will step up, someone mm. like Frederick. Great stuff. Well, that's all we've got time for for this edition of the Insider Podcast. Thanks for listening and make sure you join us next week for more football related talk. See you then. 442 Insider is a Helms Media Solutions production. Visit helms.com.au to find out more about our services.